Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. It is on private property and it is heavily gated and protected. I just about fell down when I saw it. I couldn't believe it. That's human nature again. You don't discard that which has served you so well for thousands of years. Missouri is home to more than 150 petroglyphs and pictographs. These are carvings, and in some cases drawings, left by the state's indigenous residents, many of them in caves. And in recent years, scholars have made great strides in understanding the stories they tell. I'm Sarah Fenske. This is St. Louis on the Air. And before we move on, I want to remind you that the biggest source of St. Louis Public Radio's funding comes from listeners like you. Because you value what you hear on St. Louis on the Air, donate today. Go to stlpr.org donate. That's stlpr.org donate. Carol Diaz-Granados and Jim Duncan have worked with Osage elders for the past 25 years. They're striving to interpret the meaning behind the pictographs and petroglyphs on sites throughout Missouri, and they join us today to discuss their work. Carol Diaz-Granados is a Ph.D. and a research associate at Washington University's Department of Anthropology. Carol, welcome. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for inviting us. And we're also joined today by Jim Duncan. He's the former director of the Missouri State Museum and a former exhibits director with the Missouri Department of Conservation, and he has studied the Osage. Jim, welcome. Hey, thank you. So, Carol, thank you for having me. Carol, I'd like to start with you. Uh, some people might think of these, these pictures as being somewhat akin to graffiti, but I understand it's much more than that. What makes these pieces of rock art special? Well, for one thing... What we are seeing in them, in many of them, are symbols that reflect the portable artifacts that are found archaeologically. Uh, for example, maces, bilobed arrows, um, feet, and um, that's one thing. That When we first started our project, we thought they were a separate entity, that the rock art was separate from the uh, artifacts that were being found in the ground, but they're not. They're very, very much connected. Hmm. Are they using the the same symbols or or telling the same stories? No. And then the second thing is that when we find um, petroglyphs or pictographs that are very complex, um, they frequently um, repeat uh, at different sites, at different sites, not only in Missouri, but also around the eastern United States, sometimes even into the western United States, like birth figures. We see birthing figures, birthing um, babies, so to Hmm. speak. And I can't swear that they're, you know, babies. They can be supernatural figures, supernatural beings, but but, um, the same symbols, the same depictions um, are repeated. So we know that they're not, it's not simple graffiti. They're, they're trying to tell a story or trying to explain an oral tradition. Hmm. And I want to get to the stories they're telling in just a moment, but first, just a little more context. Jim, do we have a sense of how old these are? 
Uh, yeah, we do. Sadly, with most of them that we have in Missouri are exposed to weathering, and uh, they're on. Most of them are on sandstone or limestone, mm. and that being very uh, fragile to uh, adverse weather conditions. Most of them are fairly young. They're probably between twelve hundred and uh, six, seven, eight hundred years old, somewhere in that in that interval. Jim, However, that does not seem young to me. That seems like these these go back to long before we kn- we know that much about uh, things in Missouri. Oh, 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 well, you know, we have some that have been dated in caves that are six to seven thousand years old. Wow! So. Caves and uh, protected areas like rock shelters, which, while they are fragile, they sometimes have particularly uh, pictographs that can be dated by taking tiny amounts of the pigment, and we find that some of those are quite old, six to 7,000 years old. So uh, if they're not exposed to weathering, they can be quite old. Hmm. That's impressive. And I do want to clarify something for our listeners um, before we continue in this. This is the difference between petroglyphs and pictographs. Um, Carol, what, what separates those two things? Okay. Petroglyphs are in short rock carvings. And by carvings, I mean that they were pecked or, or etched or scraped or scratched into the rock. And pictographs, of course, are paintings are drawings. They can be drawings with pigments or drawings with charcoal, charred botanical material. So there is that distinction. Now we also have a third uh, group which is painted petroglyphs. North of the Missouri River, uh, several of the petroglyphs up there have retained pigments. So we know that even though south of the Missouri River the petroglyphs look just clean rock carvings, um, north of the Missouri River tells us that they did paint these petroglyphs, too. Hmm. Well, let's talk about these stories that they're telling. I think this is so interesting. Um, You mentioned there that they have some commonalities. Jim, what story are these telling? Well, the one that is apparently most common is a Genesis tradition. Now, this is a worldwide thing. People are terribly interested in their origins, how things came to be. Remember the Kipling Just So stories? Mm-hmm. They're doing that with symbolism. Hmm. And we've got metaphors, um, all sorts of strange things. And there is an, a tendency for people to, you know, tend to try to interpret this. This is, this is human nature. And what we find is that we've got a Genesis story that's common to many groups that were contacted in uh, the late 17th, early 18th century by Europeans, and particularly religious uh, members of these early trading expeditions, mostly our military surveys, in the case of the Spanish, But when they contacted the indigenous peoples, sometimes these religious um, people in their group who were there to convert Mm -hmm. the indigenous people would record their stories. And that's been a real mother load of information for us, particularly the Jesuit relations. 
So the Jesuits wrote down the stories told by the same people who were creating these these pictures, and, and you can find where the two things intersect? That's correct. That's correct. And they very carefully uh, recorded these stories. And interestingly, this business about a great spirit, mm-hmm. it wasn't something invented by the Jesuits. They were actually talking to an indigenous uh, people that had already the concept of a single powerful force that created everything in the cosmos. Hmm. So they were monotheistic, in, in some ways at least. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They, uh, it, it was a different type of monotheism, I think. Uh, you know, religion reflects uh, society and vice versa. But uh, they, they had a more of a... There was, their feeling was more of belonging to a large, complex, layered universe where all living things were interrelated. Hmm. And Carol, I understand that the idea of this Earth Maker, this, this was a feminine force. How do we know that? How do we know that Earthmaker? Well, there is a first woman and a first man. First woman is also known by other um, indigenous groups by old woman who never dies, old woman, Karn mother, Earth mother. There's many, many different um, versions of her depending on um, the group that is telling the oral tradition. How do we know that she's there? Well, she's even in our culture. We talk about Mother Earth, don't we? Yeah, this is something that that goes across um, different belief systems. Yeah, absolutely. That's fascinating. Now, Jim, I, I want to um, put in here, you guys aren't just working on this on your own. You've also worked very closely with Osage um, scholars and, and people who are part of this nation. Um, when it comes to working with them to interpret these pictures, what kind of insight do they have? Well, they're well, uh, they're well acquainted. In fact, sometimes they, they kind of look askance. Didn't you know that? Didn't you hear about that? And uh, I was amazed at how much uh, culture has survived in that society. And in doing some reading, Mooney, a fellow that was hired by the uh, Bureau of American Ethnography back to turn the into the 20th century, did some uh, serious work trying to figure out how many of these indigenous groups were holding on to their religions. And they found out that the Siouan speakers were very, very good at doing this. And they were quietly holding on to their ancient traditions, and then they have found that this is a very widespread thing, not just amongst the Sioux speakers, but also in the Southwest. They've done a very good job of, of pre- preserving, same way in Mesoamerica. And that's, that's human nature again. You don't discard that which has served you so well for thousands of years. And and so is this being passed on through an oral tradition, or do they also have some written archives they're drawing on? Well, it's largely oral traditions up until uh, about the time the languages started to uh, be intentionally uh, suppressed by the federal government. The children were being taken away from their families and placed into schools, uh, sometimes hundreds of miles away from their parents on reservations. And this was a uh, this was a conscious uh, effort on the part of the federal government back at the turn of the century and and before to de-Indianize the population, and it's still going on, sadly. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they did was to do away with the language. 
they would actually punish the children that would speak their native language in their schools. And um, what happened was the kids still listened to their grandparents, did their best job they could. Hmm. Uh, sometimes the grandparents would try to, to uh, translate into English for them. And all of this has come down to us. And sadly, it with not only indigenous people, the Indian people, it also happened to the very early French. Hmm. And uh, get rid of the language, get rid of the oral traditions. And happily for our work, the Osages have been very valiantly trying to hold on to both. They have language classes, and that's where we got the big break. And the big break? Uh, what's the big break? <laughs> The big break was a man called Charles Pratt, who was a language scholar, an Osage language scholar. He was well-educated, had a baccalaureate degree. His brother Steve has a doctorate, and these two brothers were both working hard to preserve language as well as oral tradition. And sadly, uh, Charles died of cancer just a few years back. Mm. But he has a memorial over at Cahokia, and uh, he was a big contributor to our uh, foundational work, and it was surprising just how much he did know. Hmm. So he was a critical connection for you in, in understanding these things. Very definitely. We're talking today to Jim Duncan. He's the former director of the Missouri State Museum and a former exhibits director with the Missouri Department of Conservation. We're also talking to Carol Diaz-Granados. She's a Ph.D. and a research associate at Washington University's Department of Anthropology. And both Carol and Jim are studying the petroglyphs and pictographs uh, that are throughout Missouri and many times in caves. Carol, I understand a whole lot of these depictions are found in what's called Picture Cave. This is in Warren County in eastern Missouri. What's the historical significance of this site? Um, I'll let Jim um, talk about that too, but this cave, which is on private property, and I want to emphasize that it is, it is on private property and it is heavily gated and protected. Mm. <clears throat> and um, it is, um, as uh, Professor Jan Schimmick at University of Tennessee calls it, the Lasco of Missouri, um, which some of your listeners, I'm sure, will be familiar with Lasco. Um, and and it, frankly, I, I'm not. So tell us, what would oh, that mean a, to be the Lascaux of Missouri? The cave in France that is loaded with, with images, images oh. painted on, on the uh, cave walls. And we have, there are almost 400 images painted on the walls of this um, picture cave. And they are so detailed, some of them, not all of them, but uh, many of them are so detailed that we can um, get a really good idea of what they were doing and how they fit, how the images um, fit with the oral traditions of the Eastern um, Sioux, the, the Central Sioux, the, um, actually the uh, Degan Sioux, which uh, are the Osage and their uh, other cognate tribes connected to them that all spoke Degan Sioux. Hmm. Jim, I understand you've concluded that these drawings in Picture Cave were made by the same people who were involved with the Cahokia Mounds. Uh, how did you make that connection? <laughs> that was a connection made with portable artifacts. They had found a, a cluster of very unusual portable artifacts. They're called masquettes. 
and you don't put them on your face for Halloween. They're worn on your ears, and they're symbols of your position and clan within not only your your uh, government uh, governmental organization of your your you your nation, but also in the cosmos. These are cosmic symbols. They're they're in, they're incredible, and there's a figure depicted in picture cave beautifully depicted it's it's monumental but it's it's quite small and this figure has these ear mascot ornaments on it hmm. that's a connection there that's you must have felt chills realizing that <laughs> i just about fell down when i saw it i couldn't believe it and a good friend of mine who knows a lot about the iconography also said you know if an archaeologist had been standing behind the artist that created that image, he couldn't have done a better job of telling him what to put on it. <laughs> you know, we got an email that, that feels really on point here. We heard from our listener, Nick, and he writes, I wanted to ask Carol and Jim a question as a new landowner with a pictograph site on my property. What could we do to be a better steward to the archaeological world in Missouri? And what ways can we learn more about the content around Missouri? He says we're currently reading petroglyphs and pictographs of Missouri. So he's looking for some education and also if you have any advice on, on how he can be a good steward here. Well, first of all, I think what we'd want to do is confirm that it is an actual one. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some, quote, fake, unquote, ones um, that have been done around Missouri. Well, done all over the, you know, the world and all over the United States for sure. But we would want to confirm that it's real. And then um, depending on the pigments, it could be dated, um, especially the black pigments. Uh, the charred botanical material can be dated, uh, radiocarbon dated. And, um, and and Carol, just to interject here, how would he go about confirming that it's real? Is there somebody who, who looks into these things who would go onto a private property for that sort of task? We, we, we have done that. We've oh, done the that. two of you. Well, that's <laughs> we're going to put you in touch with Nick. So you would go onto the property and investigate and, and see what you could learn about what he has. Um, yes, we can do that. And... Um, it is, um, it's, it's not a um, simple matter, depending on where it's located. I mean, if it's like a, down a steep embankment or something, we'd have to find out exactly, you know, uh, the, the uh, situation of the cave or shelter that it's in. Usually they're in shelters that are pretty easy to get to. Hmm. So if you were able to get to it, you would. In the meantime, anything you'd recommend for people who want to become more educated on this topic? Is, is there a book or, or something that's a good, uh, that's useful to a just a novice? Well, we do have the original book uh, that was published in 2000 by University of Alabama Press called The Petroglyphs and Pictographs of Missouri. And that's a good place to start. And then um, in 2004, we published a collection of papers, including uh, a few on Missouri rock art, but it's called The Rock Art of Eastern North America. And I think that would be of interest. And then um, we do have a beautiful, beautiful full color volume on Picture Cave published by University of Texas Press in 2015. And um, anybody looking at that, uh, the pictures in that book, you know, can, uh, I'm sure they cannot help but be impressed. It's an amazing sight. And then in 2018, we published um, Transforming the Landscape uh, with uh, Oxford University 
uh, I'm sorry, Oxbow Press in London. And um, that talks about a more general look at different sites in the eastern United States and how they reflect the cosmos of the American Indian. So any of those four books, but to start with, uh, Petrolis and Pictographs of Missouri. Well, that's great that Nick started there with the right book. We'll make sure to get more um, information about those books on our website for those who are interested in learning more about this. Our website is stlpublicradio.org. We'll update it this afternoon with a podcast of this conversation and also um, more materials for people who want to know more. So uh, Carol uh, Diaz-Granados, Research Associate at Washington University Department of Anthropology, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and, and sharing this knowledge. Thank you very much for having us, Sarah. And Jim Duncan, a former director of the Missouri State Museum and former exhibits director with the Missouri Department of Conservation. Thank you for sharing of your work. Well, thank you very much for having us. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.